Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our TOSIG Phase 1 and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Miriam Alhili, a gynecologic oncologist at Cleveland Clinic's Women's Health Institute. So welcome, Miriam. Thank you. So maybe just give us just a little uh, background on what your role is here at Cleveland Clinic. So I'm a gynecologic oncologist. I see women uh, with various gynecologic malignancies, and we um, evaluate patients for surgery, and then they follow up with us at, in our clinic for their postoperative care, typically chemotherapy. We, we work closely with our multidisciplinary team, with our radiation oncologists. We also have a focus on high-risk women with genetic conditions as well um, that we see in our clinic on a regular basis. Great. So maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about genetic testing in, in women with ovarian cancer. So the, um, the concept of genetic testing, just like with all other cancers, has really uh, evolved over the last several years. And at this time, all women with a diagnosis of ovarian cancer, including you know, all histologies with the exception of probably mucinous carcinomas of the ovary and the epithelial types of ovarian cancers, all of these women are uh, recommended to undergo genetic testing following their diagnosis. That is based on data showing that the incidence of these women not only having BRCA or BRCA1 or 2 gene mutations, but genes that are in the same pathway and related genes uh, can be up to 20%. So one in five women can have a genetic mutation, um, which uh, would um, influence the prognosis, treatments, and um, their disease course. So that's our current recommendation. And so this is testing in patients who have been identified as having ovarian cancer? Correct. This is in women that have ovarian cancer. Okay. Um, the criteria are very different in women who uh, are suspected to have a genetic mutation based on family history. So, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Who should we be sending for, for testing? So uh, the NCCN um, probably has the most comprehensive list of what these indications are for genetic testing. But for women who are suspected to have a family history of ovarian cancer, all of these women should be referred to genetic counseling, particularly if a woman has a first degree relative with ovarian cancer the incidence of uh, ovarian cancer in this situation is significantly higher. We recommend that these women be seen by a genetic counselor and assessed, and then they would typically undergo panel testing, uh, multi-gene panel testing. So having a first-degree relative, even a second-degree relative can increase risk. So that risk is about uh, 3% for a second-degree relative and having um, two relatives or more with ovarian cancer as well. So when we think about having the genetic counseling and assessing risk, and you mentioned, you know, 3% risk, where does that go from there? You know, typically everyone's concerned the fact that ovarian cancer, for instance, oftentimes is identified very late and, you know, about screening the general population versus these people who are more susceptible. How does that 
How does that impact uh, any screening procedures or what do we do with that increased risk? How do we, how do we use that in a clinical way? So clinically, first, uh, after a woman undergoes genetic testing and is confirmed to have a genetic mutation, there's the um, BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, which are the high penetrance genes. And those would increase women's risk for BRCA1 um, of developing ovarian cancer over a lifetime of about 40 to 45%, and for BRCA2, about 15 to 20%. There are also other genes that are related to BRCA1 and BRCA2 that have lower penetrance, um, overall risk of somewhere between 5 to 15% um, over the lifetime, their lifetime. So in, in women that are confirmed to be high risk, we enroll them in a screening program where they um, are seen by a gynecologic oncologist uh, and they would undergo um, ultrasound screening, depending on their age, um, ultrasound and CA125 if they haven't completed their family and they're still interested in fertility, typically every six months. And for women that have completed their family uh, and are um, not interested in future fertility, then we would recommend uh, risk-reducing surgery as the most definitive option for uh, risk reduction. And that's also age-dependent and mutation-dependent. So typically for BRCA1 uh, gene carriers, the recommended age of considering uh, risk-reducing surgery is between 35 to 40 um, and between 40 to 45 for uh, BRCA2 mutation carriers because they do develop uh, ovarian cancer approximately 10 years later. So really the, the screening of these high-risk women can significantly decrease the likelihood they end up with late-stage disease, which is, is, is great. What other things are we, uh, we screening for in, in women with potential for gynecologic cancers? So apart, um, you know, as, as you know, the uh, screening tests for ovarian cancer are in the general population, not sensitive or specific, but in high-risk women, they may um, lead to detection at an earlier stage. With um, women that have a diagnosis of endometrial cancer, uh, what we do in our practice and in a lot of other practices nationally and internationally is we do um, somatic testing. So tumors are tested with immunohistochemistry for mismatch repair proteins, and that can then guide further testing, genetic testing, and referral to a genetic counselor. So uh, women with, with uh, endometrial cancer, um, there's a, a, about 5% of endometrial cancers can be inherited as part of Lynch syndrome. And uh, women that have a diagnosis of Lynch syndrome are at significantly higher risk than the general population of endometrial cancer, and their risk can be between 40 to 60 percent. So the screening in these women is a little different. Apart from endometrial cancer, they're also at risk for ovarian cancer, about um, 10 to 15 percent risk of that. So it's lower, but it's uh, significant. And they're screened with an endometrial biopsy. Um, there's controversy, but we in our practice recommend doing an endometrial biopsy annually, in addition to an ultrasound and CA125 to evaluate the ovaries. Now, the, the screening you've mentioned and the testing you mentioned, is this something that we're certainly set up and equipped to do, but is this something that happens as commonly in the community or in other centers, or how mm -hmm. about access to this for most patients? 
Yeah, so we're very fortunate here because we have a, an excellent multidisciplinary center um, working with women with Lynch syndrome. Um, they get enrolled in a Lynch syndrome registry and they receive comprehensive screening. Uh, in the community, we highly recommend that these women see a genetic counselor and once they're diagnosed, be either referred to our center or that the um, physicians would use the resources available, follow um, guidelines to perform appropriate screening for these women based on the guidelines. Do we have very many patients who will come in sort of as consults specifically for screening? We actually do. We also have a large referral center for high-risk women with breast and ovary cancer. And I see women in my practice um, with the diagnosis of Lynch syndrome who come in as part of the WISE Center. The um, colorectal GI screening program is very efficient. And uh, these women come in from different states and they come in and get all of their screening tests done on the same day. And then their screening is satisfied. Is that something we have also been able to push out to our regional sites? Or is that something that's uh, primarily main campus? Or how, what does that look like? So although the patients typically can have all of their screening tests done by physicians that are at main campus, there definitely are resources to have the test, the appropriate test, screening test done in the region. Um, and, you know, once they're connected with uh, the center, the multidisciplinary center, then a patient can choose to have their screening test done anywhere in um, the region uh, as long as they're connected to the system. So I guess thinking about not, not only gynecologic cancers, but cancers that we do screening in general, getting people to actually get the screening tests is always a problem. How effectively do you think that we're identifying people at risk and then making that next step to actually get them screened? So what, what, mm -hmm. what do you think about our ability to catch the right patients and make the right things happen? And how do we make that better if it's not ideal? Right. Uh, that's a very, you know, a good question. Again, here being a big referral center, we end up seeing a lot of patients that are high risk and end up enrolling in screening programs. But I, as the data shows, we definitely are not capturing all patients and there are definitely barriers to patients' ability to get into the system uh, and be screened or even tested. Um, and there are a lot of, you know, social barriers that come to mind uh, in, in terms of this. But the main thing is increasing awareness, encouraging women or men as well that have a family history to encourage the relative that has the diagnosis to undergo genetic testing if they qualify for genetic testing. And once a family member is identified, then cascade testing can be done so other family members would be um, subsequently tested. So I think awareness is the most important thing. You know, screening in the um, at the level of primary care is also um, helpful, uh, and that is a definite um, you know access point that can be targeted. Do we have any educational um, sort of outreach efforts going on either to directly to patients or to physicians that that might help this? Because I mean, clearly screening helps and screening works and. It's just a shame to have it not be utilized. Do we have any of those efforts? We have over the years had our um, panel discussions uh, that patients are invited to, and we've had um, you know outreach programs to our community. 
but you know that's definitely an area that can be enhanced at this point in time there uh, definitely are you know system issues and with the current situation um, barriers to that but uh, we we want to be able to get out to the community and increase awareness um, so there are they have been efforts over the years you you just mentioned recent barriers and I guess that was my next question how um, certainly other cancers, uh, breast cancer and colon cancer and things have been impacted by the, the COVID pandemic. How has the screening been impacted and how are we sort of trying to avoid problems in the future by decreased screening if that's happening? So the patients that are currently uh, in our screening program and are established, uh, we have still been you know, offering them appointments. Uh, virtual visits are great for uh, patients with, with uh, you know, who are not necessarily in need of, of coming in to be um, you know, examined, but can have their counseling done virtually on the phone. So we have those resources available. But we, um, just like other specialties in cancers, they're you know, has been a decline in our number of consults in general. And uh, I think it's important for um, physicians in the community, patients to be aware that if they feel that they're at risk or high risk, that our physicians and our uh, genetic counselors can reach out to them virtually for consultation and uh, make the testing process easier. Um, and we've done an excellent job here at the clinic in protecting patients and family members and physicians alike. So certainly uh, a lot of this you said uh, had been based on, you know, what we know about risk and selecting patients based on like BRCA1, BRCA2. Um, anything that looks promising or anything being worked on either in the basic science or the clinical arena that looks like another marker that might help guide any of these gynecologic tumors and screening efforts? Definitely. Um, you know, this is a very hot area in, in uh, gynecologic oncology right now. Um, there have been, you know, uh, targeted therapies that are being introduced. So PARP inhibitors, uh, namely, they've now um, been incorporated and FDA approved and part of our, our care. And that's based on the, the fact that women with the uh, with ovarian cancer, or um, like I said previously, one in five women could have a genetic diagnosis of one bracket two, as well as other related genetic defects. But then there's the concept of a homologous recombination deficiency. So uh, that's where tumors characteristically, genotypically are considered to either to have genomic instability or genetic mutations in the pathway of BRCA, the homologous recombination DNA repair pathway. So this is a test that is, is offered to patients who test negative for um, BRCA1 and BRCA2, and it can increase the detection rate of homologous recombination deficient tumors. Uh, and those patients would qualify for uh, treatment with targeted therapy, particularly PARP inhibitors. When we think about who comes in for screening, certainly awareness and identification of people at risk is important. What what kind of issues do you deal with in terms of coverage for either the genetic screening, the genetic counseling, or the testing? And how, how big of a factor is that? 
Definitely that does come up during consultations. What I would typically tell patients is that, you know, seeing the genetic counselor is the first step. And most insurance companies do a really good job of approving patients for screening and for uh, risk-reducing surgery. So it's not a common barrier that we encounter, but every now and then there are issues that are raised in terms of insurance. And I think that is also evolving with time as there's more information and data available on how these patients do and the uh, you know, reduction in mortality that these patients get through screening and through risk-reducing surgeries. Well, Miriam, you had some great insights for us uh, today. Um, any additional comments? Um, I th- thank you for, you know, having me on this podcast. And I think it's very important um, to, to raise awareness on screening, genetic screening and testing, and that Uh, We hope to be able to help physicians in the community by having our resources readily available that they don't have to think about or counsel patients uh, any differently by um, just a simple, you know, phone call or referral. We can get them in and get them enrolled in our program. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.